we had a specific vision for what we wanted to accomplish. We wanted to really utilize the combination of both our analytical approach, me with the quality control and Kellen with the facility-based extraction experience and focus post-cultivation and provide operators with the ability to kind of take their product and create an actual end product for the consumer. And I think what we found was, sure, even the best business plans kind of get sideswiped when COVID hit and everything went to kibbutz. But for us, what we what we found was that we started linking up with people in the space. We helped them solve a problem. And after we were done, they'd ask us to help on other services. And what started as one set of services just evolved over time. And what we quickly realized was that one of our best traits of bringing to the market is speed, flexibility, and the ability to solve problems. So what we're really bu- most proud of is that we're fast action oriented individuals who can diagnose various situations and in cannabis there's endless challenges and endless obstacles. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Taravi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And today I'm presenting to you the final episode of 2021. I shuffled some things around and decided to air today's guest episode because I think the conversation was fun, engaging, and full of lots of insights as we doubled down and hit the ground running to be prepared for in 2022. Okay, wait, that was a little weird to say, and it'll probably take me until February to get it right, but 2022. Anyways, I'm genuinely looking forward to 2022, but before we can look forward, I did want to take a moment to reflect back on all that happened this year, starting with Texas cannabis. You know, we had our legislative session in 2021, so we won't expect to see much happen by way of legislation here in the Lone Star State this next year, but we do have some outstanding lawsuits that we are waiting to hear the outcome on, specifically the Delta 8 ban as well as the smokable hemp ban. As things sit currently, those are still legal presently to continue to do business in those categories, but come the new year, we'll expect to see some movement by way of these appeals, and certainly more to come that I'll be sure to keep you guys updated on as it's happening. And then moving into federal news, we had the productization of hemp-derived Delta 9, and personally, I can't wait to see what that category continues to do as the industry shuffles itself around and things settle. We also saw the introduction of a bunch of other minor cannabinoids like THCV, CBC, and also despite its questionability, I'm seeing a lot of HHC products also be formulated and brought to market. We're still dealing with inconsistency from a testing perspective, although the state of California launched a charge just this last month to help standardize that for the marijuana industry. But if I'm playing devil's advocate, and I always am, 
To me, if hemp can't get their testing standardized and we're already federally legalized, that's just one of the gaps that I see needing to be addressed before we can expect to see real federal legalization on the table. In 2021, it was great to get back out in the community and connect with so many people, specifically you, the listeners, as well as my amazing lineup of guests. It was so fun going to MJ BizCon this year and just getting to submerge myself in that world. And so I'm very much looking forward to 2022 events and what that will bring. And I also have to mention, I have some amazing episodes in the queue for this new year and want to tease out the first episode of 2022, aka the next episode coming out this next Monday is going to be a heavy hitter that I had the chance to interview, which is Steve D'Angelo, the quote-unquote appointed father of the legal cannabis industry. But what I really appreciated about our conversation was the honesty that Steve shared about the future of cannabis. And as someone who quite literally helped establish the industry as we see it today, he shares a lot of insights that I honestly wasn't really expecting him to share or to have that perspective. So that is a really juicy episode. Please stay tuned for that one. But transitioning, getting into today's guests. Yes, I said guests. There are multiple of them. My friends, Brian and Kellen from 8th Revolution, and they're also fellow podcasters. They have a podcast called The Dime, which I was a guest on their podcast. I got to learn a lot from that discussion. And then we got to meet IRL at MJ BizCon actually, and shared a fun stoned magician moment, which I will probably never stop talking about. So shout out to Grasslands for that badass party. But sincerely, these guys have built a very well-respected machine in the industry under their consulting agency, 8th Revolution. And so they are basically cannabis consultants, but to me, they're so much more than that. And I'm sure their clients and peers would equally agree. There is something special about their insights. And personally, this conversation was really fun for me because very few times do I get to sit down with people who are on the pulse of the industry and can riff and speculate on the things that I come across. So like I said, this episode was a fun conversation that just felt really fitting to end the year on. So with that said, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and holiday and looking forward to ringing in the new year and closing out 2021. So let's bring Kellen and Brian onto the show and light one up. My name is Brian Fields, and I am the co-founder of 8th Revolution and one of the co-hosts of the Dime Podcast. And my experience in the cannabis space, at least from a professional standpoint, I worked for a marketing technology company for a while. I was responsible for the marketing and sales and built out a team. And my boss came to me and asked me to enter a variety of new industries, cannabis being one of them. So as a salesperson, I attended trade shows and wanted to kind of get my foot on the ground and start figuring out, is there an opportunity for us to enter the space from a technology standpoint? I'll take a step back. We were a quality control instrumentation company. So not the most fun style projects to market towards, but a very niche style. So When I got my foot in the door from the cannabis space and started talking to people, I was enlightened by the speed and the opportunity to kind of position things in there. Cannabis, this was 2017, was so new feeling. I mean, it still feels really new, but to me then was just such a different feel and there was such a big rush to kind of 
the speed and to enter the space. And at the MJ Biz conference, I met Kellen Finney, who was speaking at the conference. And I had actually cold messaged Kellen prior to kind of get my foot in the door and get a pulse on the space. So we linked up prior through a cold message, which is, I guess, a, a true cannabis love story. And Taking back to my my personal use of it, I've had a love and hate on and off style relationship with cannabis for a while. I was a late bloomer to it. And then I went through a phase where I absolutely loved it. And then I went through this terrible phase where I was getting anxious all the time consuming and took a step back. And then I realized, what was it that I wasn't enjoying about the experience? Because the high was fun, but the feeling of the anxiety and the rush was something that I just didn't enjoy. And I, I took like a, a sense to, to take a step back. And after speaking with Kellen and some of the experts, it realized it was the type of product that I was consuming was the problem for me. So once I started adjusting the dose and the style that I was consuming, I fell back in love with it. And, and now it's become a, a daily part of my routine. I love that. And then also just for reference for the listeners, you're based in New York, correct? Correct. Correct. And then Kellen, Kellen's based in Colorado. So I love that about your company. You create a good spectrum of the cannabis industry, just based on geographically where you're positioned. And so Kellen, please tell us about yourself. Yeah, no. My name is Kellen Finney. I've been working in the cannabis industry since about 2015. I got into the cannabis industry after finishing grad school. I studied chemical and metabolic engineering and was bright-eyed and super excited to utilize all of that education I got to make a living, right? And so originally I was born and raised in a ski town in Colorado. I moved back to Colorado because I went to school in Arizona. So I moved back to Colorado, was all excited and ready to, to try to find a job in the science sector. And it turns out Colorado does not have a very robust scientific industry like say San Francisco or Boston would, where there's a ton of kind of startup and pharmaceutical companies and those kind of traditional scientific career opportunities. And so couldn't really get my foot in the door in the two or three science companies out here in Colorado that were operating at the time. And I had a family friend that was actually out in California and who had recently started an extraction company and kind of got to talking. And he was like, honestly, I need someone with these sets of experiences. And I was like, those are all of the skills I have from college, right? And so, and from grad school. And so I decided to, to kind of take that leap into the cannabis industry, which was, I talked to like my PIs and a bunch of advisors and mentors. And it was a really interesting time, like back in back in 2014, right? The Colorado had just legalized. We really weren't sure how long that was going to last, right? We weren't sure if the federal government was going to come crack down. And it was still really new from like a legacy perspective and the type of people that you interacted with. And so it was kind of a huge risk that I took from a career perspective. But I talked with a lot of people and decided to kind of take the plunge and worked for a startup company out in Chico, California, a strictly carbon dioxide extraction. I then, we then transitioned over to or moved the facility to Arcata, which is in Humboldt County. For legality purposes, the municip municipality in Humboldt's a lot friendlier to cannabis companies than Chico, just from a, Chico's a traditional ag county. So they were very conservative and kind of anti-cannabis, if you will. So we moved our facility over to Humboldt and it was probably one of our better, better decisions as a company at the time. And I got to launch a extraction and processing facility and kind of manage it and see it kind of grow. We ended up formulating for a lot of the big brands in California, worked with Tilray, Bang, Marley Naturals, a lot of those like early brands that kind of got uh, 
first to market traction, if you will. And then they kind of wanted to stay small mom pa situation. And I was still looking to kind of develop my career. I wanted to learn more about the industry. I then transitioned away from that company to take a leadership role with a vertically integrated company up in Washington. And so I made that move in 2017. And that was after, so I got to see California go wreck, which was cool, adult use, and was part of that whole excitement and everything. And then transitioned up to Washington to be vertically integrated. In California at the time, it was really, really challenging to be a manufacturer because not having control of the biomass led to a ton of quality control issues. Pesticides were a common place in cultivation practices prior to pesticide testing coming online. And so it was. It was really, really hard to do business in California at the time. And so moving up to Washington alleviated those issues from a quality control perspective because it gave us control of the, gave me at least control of the biomass and, and those kind of things in terms of being vertically integrated. Worked up there and helped launch that facility as a much larger scale facility and learned a lot and then kind of hit another glass ceiling, if you will, where I just kind of wasn't going to go anywhere. The the people above me were the founders of the company. And so at that point, I decided to, to try to control my own uh, destiny. I was asked to speak at MJ Biz on extraction science. And luckily, this random guy from New York <laughs> sent me a cold message. And I was like, oh, no way, someone my age in the industry that's interested, right? And so we met up in, in Vegas and kind of hit it off and back and forth over the next few months. We did, it, was, it was obvious that we were going to kind of start something together. And that's where Eighth Revolution was born. And now here we are talking to you, Shada. So it's been a heck of a ride, honestly. <laughs> I I love it. I really appreciate the introductions because, I mean, like you said, it's it's such a new industry, but at the same time, it has been you know around for some years. And just the amount of growth, I mean, y'all probably Kelly maybe more particularly understands different nuance personally just by being in these different markets, watching Colorado, watching California, experiencing Washington. I mean, I talk a lot about on my podcast. I know y'all talk a lot about it on your podcast, The Dime Too, just the variation in the markets. And I think that it's a very exciting time to be in cannabis because I really think that there's so much opportunity, but there's obviously so much trepidation as well. And I, I feel bad for my listeners. Sometimes they tune in and I'm like the realist. I'm like, I'm not here to scare you away, but I'm here to just confront you with the realities of wanting to be in the cannabis industry. And so I was a guest on y'all's podcast a couple of months ago. That's when we first connected, then got to meet you IRL at the Grasslands party at MJ BizCon, which was super fun. We had a nice little magician stoned moment, which we can (laughs) go into maybe later, but genuinely really have appreciated the quality of content that y'all have put out through your business and out through your podcast. And I'm excited to just dive in a little bit deeper for my audience to get connected to what you're putting together and kind of, I guess, let's start at the top really around eighth revolution. What is your offering to the consumers and what are some of the areas? I mean, I, I pulled up your website, of course, like a good podcaster preparing for episodes does. I mean, you're called from capital to cannabinoid. I love the marketing spin. You talk about license acquisition, strategic research and analysis, financial roadmaps, facility design and build out, equipment selection. I mean, it really goes on and on. But from your perspective, when you started this company, did you start with just one area that you were helping out and it kind of evolved to other things? Or were you really like, 
we know a bunch, so we're just going to go offer it and see what people want. And so I'm just curious kind of what is the eighth revolution story and journey as you've unpacked that over the years? Yeah, it's a really good question. And like hearing like that, that idea and then kind of going through that in real time, it, it, it's one of those where we had a specific vision for what we wanted to accomplish. We wanted to really utilize the combination of both our analytical approach, me with the quality control and Kellen with the facility based extraction experience and focus post cultivation and provide operators with the ability to kind of take their product and create an actual end product for the consumer. And I think what we found was, sure, even the best business plans kind of get sideswiped when COVID hit and everything went to kibbutz. But for us, what what we found was that we started linking up with people in the space. We helped them solve a problem. And after we were done, they'd ask us to help, to, to help on other services. And what started as one set of services just evolved over time. And what we quickly realized was that one of our best traits of bringing to the market is speed, flexibility, and the ability to solve problems. So what we're really most proud of is that we're fast action-oriented individuals who can diagnose various situations. And in cannabis, there's endless challenges and endless obstacles. And we're there to be another tool in the tool belt so that operators can continue to be successful, have their head down, continue grinding, but also know that there's a resource on their side that's helping them align to drive the bottom line. How do you stay on top of, I mean, like immediately, I feel like that was just like, sorry, I like blurted out a question and I like didn't let my brain catch up to it. But like, how do you stay on top of all the nuances state to state? Do you find that your customers are predominantly in, let's say like a California, Colorado market? Or do you find that there may be new emerging markets like maybe Arizona or Nevada And how do you navigate the variations? I mean, just again, from my experience, I'm in Texas. We know that we're not as advanced as some of these other states with cannabis laws. We've got our own challenges we're going through, especially with Delta 8 right now. But that aside, it's it's a lot to keep track of. And so every time I talk to my guests, they range from all these different states and they tell me little snippets of different information. I'm like, okay, I think I'm doing a good job keeping up. And then of course I talk to someone new and I either completely change my thought perspective or learn something new that changes the game. And so how do you kind of stay on top of it as you're helping your clients and do they kind of congregate in one particular area of the industry or do you see it being a little bit more all over the place just based on things emerging and evolving? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And so I'll break it down into a couple different parts. As far as like state regulations go and those kind of like the rules to play the game, which is of course different in every state from that we're all aware of, if you will. There are certain states that we don't have like boots on the ground experience with and we are very transparent with clients that approach us from that perspective, right? Like we had a client maybe a couple months ago reach out to us regarding Virginia's blossoming market and that potential and we, we just have to be very honest because every state is so different and all of those laws are constantly being written in real time almost, right? So so as long as we're transparent, a lot of the times the clients are open to that and they're like, okay, as long as you guys are trying to stay on top of that. We have recently actually been exploring software solutions to being able to keep up with those regulations in real time. There's a couple different platforms that we've kind of looked at and we're still in the process of vetting those. But then as far as like specific areas that we try to focus on, from a, a complete Odyssey perspective, Brian or I do not have significant cultivation experience. I mean, I've been on a lot of cultivation sites. I've worked hand in hand with growers 
um, especially in Washington when it was vertically integrated. The grow was on the same property as the lab. So there was a lot of overlap from a communication standpoint. But that's not something that we are skilled or comfortable providing any advice on. We outsource that, of course. We have resources and that kind of stuff. But but the area that we tend to, that originally was our, our bread and butter, if you will, was facility buildouts, post-cultivation, right? And then based on Brian's experience and my experience in running businesses as well, it kind of just was a natural and organic transition to also helping our clients out with all these other services as well. After we successfully helped them build a facility and, and kind of walked them through those kind of aspects, they're like, hey, we still want to work with you guys. Like, we have this issue. Can you help us solve that? And it's just kind of snowballed from there. And that's where we now have all these other product offerings because we've ha- we've been asked to accomplish those tasks through our clients. But we don't focus on like a specific market, if you will. Like We have clients that we've helped with applications in Florida. We have clients that we're helping with applications in in Michigan, we have clients in California that we're helping optimize their facility. So it's, it's kind of all over the, the country right now. No, I totally appreciate that too. And I think and it wasn't like a trick question, right? No, I no. think uh, <laughs> I appreciate the transparency gotcha. too. <laughs> like, ha, ah, you don't understand Virginia. Like, <laughs> screw you guys. But I think that's the kind of, at least where I'm coming from, right? I think when I first started kind of like leaning into the cannabis industry in Texas, I was looking around like, well, who knows more than me? Cause I know nothing. And then as I kept kind of leaning into it and, and getting my gut checks, maybe from the people who were also kind of emerging in the market with me, as well as other States, and you're just kind of starting to piece things together. You realize, Oh, I, I know some stuff. I know some shit when I can like apply this in a meaningful way. And like you highlighted, I'm good at business or at least you're saying that I'm also saying I'm good at business. Like how can I help people navigate the industry in a unique and meaningful way that actually can provide value? And I think through that, maybe you don't know so much about an emerging state, but what you know about some of the other states can be of aid to these people who are also equally in that same position who are like, Virginia is just coming online and we really want to be in the cannabis industry and we have this money and we got a license or we want to get a license and we want to invest it in kind of what is the path and the plan to go implement that. And so I think it's kind of one of those things where everybody says that they kind of know business or can like help you consult and solve a problem. But then like to actually have people who've like walked through it or gone through it, maybe it's not the same state, but they've done it before. And in cannabis, because it's so new and nuanced, it's just kind of a part of my French, a little bit of a clusterfuck still. But I think that you guys have really risen to the occasion. And I have just fallen so in love. Y'all produce a monthly playbook. And I want to kind of pick that apart a little bit more because I think that is such a work of art. It is so in-depth and so on the money and just so informative. And so if you can just kind of go through kind of, I understand as a marketer, the the opportunity of a playbook, you're building your email list, you're providing value, it's getting people tuned in to what the potential of working with you guys can do for them. But I'm also a human and I know that it takes a lot of work to put that together and to go kind of scour the internet for all the news resources and data points. And y'all do such a great job of compiling it and sending it out. And it's truly so informational. Like I was just reading December's and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, again, informing me on things that I thought that I might have known some about and you kind of help connect dots. And so if you could just like maybe walk us through 
Have y'all always produced the playbook? When did the playbook come into effect? And how do you stay on top of keeping track of all those different trends and maybe give us a little bit of a highlight of like what is important for you to kind of pay attention to from an industry perspective and to filter and consolidate into a playbook? I'm going to let Brian take this, but first I want to say thank you very much for the kind words. Yeah. Oh my God, of course. (laughs) Truly, I love it. I read it every month. It it means a ton. And it, it's such an undertaking each month to accomplish. And I think originally it had dual purposes. So to go back to your previous question on how we stay up to date, coming into the space, there was such an overwhelming amount of information at, for myself, I needed to catch up. So I was like, how can I convince myself on a regular basis to continue to catch up on news, to organize information, to summarize things, to provide value to the space? I wanted to just throw myself in the deep end. So in my experience, the best way to do that is to just dive head first in, read everything you can and figure out what information is relevant through just trial and error. And this playbook we started since the beginning of time. I think we've done almost 26 months now, which is crazy. And the first few we did were so bad. It was crazy. It was crazy. And over time, you start kind of figuring out what information fits, what information is valuable. We cut stuff each month. I've got endless concepts that I want to incorporate in, but there has to be a fair value of, is this worthwhile or is this something that I like as a marketer, right? And is this providing value to the readers or is this something that I'm enjoying because it's cool, it looks nice, and I've spent a good amount of time figuring out creatively how to conceptualize this together. So the playbook has those two forces, right? It it forces Kellen and I to continually bring our A-game every single month and make sure we stay up to date. In addition, what we found was that we'd work with clients. They'd want to know six weeks from now, they'd call us and say, hey, I heard about so-and-so. What am I supposed to do? And what we would like to tell them was that you should have known about that six weeks prior when it got released. And they were like, well, can you just call me every time or can we set up regular phone calls? And we're like, that can't work with 32 clients. Kellen and I are two people. So we're like, how do we disseminate regular information on an ongoing basis to our clients and our network and figure out a way to add value to the industry specifically internally? And then what we decided was that during COVID, we're like, instead of just releasing this just for our 32 clients, let's open this to the industry and try to do our role to help others forward because who else could benefit from this? We've already producing it. It would be a shame to limit it just to the small, small group of 32. And right, as a marketer, the email list, the continual flywheel aspect is all part of the process. But I felt like I needed to kind of keep it internally until I was ready to release it. And it was a hard kind of balance. But at the end of the day, it is it is an uphill fight. And it's one of those on a regular basis where I look down and I'm like, wow, it is the 15th of the month. We need to get our stuff together for the end of this month because January's coming whether or not we like it or not. Yeah, I appreciate the like tidbit too about how it started internally first. And I totally get that, right? I think there, especially as a marketer, as a business owner, you have so many ideas that you want to execute on. And kind of like you were saying, there's the things that are of value to making the sale or keeping the client, retaining, providing expertise and industry expertise and a voice. But then there's also maybe I think some trepidation of like, I don't want to tell everybody these things. Like I put this work together. And I think that's where, at least from my personal experience, I've kind of felt teetering that line with the podcast. It's like, okay, well, I love having these conversations. Like I selfishly love talking to smarter than I people because I'm 
I, I don't think people really realize this like free consulting, right? Like you're all just right. like having conversations, <laughs> like sharing, sharing intelligence, but then it's, it's also the, that community aspect of, okay, well now I'm going to open up this dialogue of like me sitting down with Brian and Kellen and open it up to an audience where people can also be a part of that journey. And I always stand by kind of the idea of you are unique and you bring something so personal to the table that even if you took using the word playbook, if you took my playbook play by play, you still couldn't execute it the way that I'm executing it. You don't have the same passions, background, education, financial situation, whatever, geographical location for that matter. And so I think that's where it's been really liberating to kind of open up the dialogue and really invite people in because cannabis is to me just one of those really interesting industries. I mean, when I was a kid, I swear to God, my mom asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was probably like in high school, college at the time. And I was like, I want to be Nancy Botwin. And I don't think I fully understood like what that meant to be, but I liked cannabis enough that I was like, yeah, cannabis. And like, I remember watching weeds and she definitely was in the black market and kind of transitioning into when legality was happening with medical and things like that. But to kind of take that idea and now pull myself out of it and look back and see, wow, not only am I able to work in an industry, but now look at the depth of the industry. And so I think what I originally thought I wanted to do has for sure shifted at least a thousand times. And I'm sure y'all can relate to that of just the industry is also coursing you as you're contributing to it just because there's so much change that's happening in the industry. But kind of on that vein, y'all also have a podcast. And so I don't know if y'all want to talk a little bit about the podcast and where that maybe differs. Because like to me, again, kind of keeping that marketing hat on, like at the end of the day, we all want to put food on the table, right? Like we want to pay our bills and it just happens to be in cannabis. Some might say we're crazy because we work in an industry. I mean, it's funny, Kellen, that you highlighted even Colorado sentiment, which I didn't even really contemplate to that extent, but you know, it legalized. And then you're like, maybe this isn't forever. (laughs) Like maybe the federal government's going to change it up on us. So I think that's an interesting remark just to be conscious of, which I don't think people realize as we inch towards federal legalization, like the game is going to get flipped way upside down. And so as you're doing these things, you're marketing, you're trying to make connections, you're trying to ultimately bring in clients to build revenue. So again, you can pay for your livelihoods, but how has the podcast and how has like the evolution, I think, of these marketing activities been helpful? And what have you kind of learned by doing the podcast maybe over just traditionally being a consulting agency? I'll let Brian talk on the marketing aspects sure. of the podcast. I think he might be a little more educated on that portion of it. I think but it's... Go ahead. Oh, sorry, no. I thought you were passing. That's what I thought you were doing. <laughs> no, I thought that was like an actual pass. <laughs> I'm You're pass like, I'll pass. I'll pass later. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to hold on to it right now, though. <laughs> no, but I think the best thing about the podcast has just been being able to have like ad hoc conversations with some of the industry leaders, honestly. And just like seeing the diverse personnel that are currently involved in the industry is phenomenal. Like talking to individuals that have come from the legacy market, talking to doctors that have put their whole practice on the line to talking to people who used to work at on Wall Street or in the financial kind of setting to to take the plunges. So I think that's been the coolest part for me from a, a podcasting perspective is just being able to get exposure to these type of people and to be able to learn and 
just have the conversations with them and, and learn about their experiences in the industry. As far as marketing goes, I think Brian could probably speak a little more educated. You can on take that the mic topic. now. Yeah. yeah. You can I'll, I'm you passing. Said, I'm passing. I mean, you were like, I'm going to pass to Brian. And then you're like, but I'm going to But I hadn't passed yet. I said, I'm going to. I think from our standpoint, right, from a con- professional services and consulting, sometimes people wonder is it worth trusting these people? Because so many people have a bad rap in cannabis with consultants. And I think the one thing that I'm most proud about is that Kellen and I have built in public for almost 26 months. We've released a podcast for almost a year, about 80 episodes in. We've released a monthly playbook about 25, 26 times. So any thought, any idea we've ever had, we've shared in public. So when people want to gauge our level of understanding and our commitment to the space, it's all out in front of you. So there shouldn't be one of these can they accomplish this? Can they do this? You've seen it. And I think the proof is in the pudding. And what we found is that a lot of people gravitate towards us and say, hey, I've read your report for six months. I have this recent problem. I'd love for you to come in. Can you help me? Count and I want to do everything we can to help others move forward. That's one of our core values. And that's what we're so proud about from the consulting side. And then from the marketing sense, I mean, the podcast has been the ultimate hack to have conversations with the elite individuals like yourself, like publicly traded CEOs. Having the ability, like someone like myself, having the ability to kind of like dive into these executives and understand the true nuances on how they make decisions and the counterpoints and variables that they're dealing with when they do is almost like a gift. Like I would pay for some of the conversations we've had and here I am having a chance to have it organically. And it's an incredible experience because as a fan of someone who enjoys these high level conversations, picking these people's brains, they're the ones building the industry on a day to day basis. When we talk to these vertically integrated CEOs and they're, ch- they're talking about the challenges of operating six to 10 different businesses, right? Because it's a vertical integrated company, you've got to own every facet of the supply chain. And unfortunately, or fortunately, different states operate completely differently. So now you've got almost all these businesses tied up under one umbrella in a really, really challenging market. And you've got one executive on top who's public facing, who's got to organize the whole puzzle. Like for me as a business nerd, like that's a dream come true to ask those questions, how they make decisions, how they take information in, what they're doing to stay on top, how they understand concepts and trends and who they lean on to make better informative decisions. Hello, just want to take a quick moment to thank my sponsor and full disclosure, my company, Restart CBD. Restart CBD is a brand that I built with my sister, so we are family-owned and women-owned. We do operate a brick and mortar in Austin, so if you ever find yourself in Central Texas, we'd love for you to come say hi. But we also ship nationwide, and we carry a wide range of CBD products We really care about this plant. We really care about educating our customers. This show would not be possible without their support. So please go check us out at restartcbd.com and use code TOBEBLUNT for $5 off your next purchase. Thanks, and let's go back to the show. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I think those are all obviously selfish, but we're altruistic because we're giving that content back out to the community. But it is really just like trying to make sense of the multifacet that is cannabis. I mean, I'm sure y'all equally get entangled in conversations where someone's like, I'm so excited. I really want to be in the industry. Like what, where do, where do I begin? What should I do? And it's like, oh my gosh, like, where do you want to begin? Where do you want to unpack? Where do you want to start investing 
And I think that's both the beauty and also the unfortunate challenge of wanting to be in cannabis is because every state has different laws. Every path to getting a license isn't as easy. Like I was just in Oklahoma and I was assuming that their process was a little bit easier to get a license. I mean, they did just up the term for how long you've had to live in the state. But the joke is kind of like if you've got a pulse and you live in Oklahoma for two years and you got money in your pocket, like you can go get a license. But the flip side, then I think I was talking to one of my girlfriends, she just got her license in Oklahoma. And she said, I guess there was such an influx that the process was actually a little bit more stringent and she was nervous of how it was going to go over. And so there was just some trepidation on her account of just what was easy is now not as easy. And so depending on when you're entering the market, there could be more opportunity or less opportunity. And I think that's where, again, for me, the podcast has been a great support, not only in my own questions and processes of like how to navigate the industry, but ultimately in passing that intel on to other people who are you know, equally qualified and passionate and, and want to be in the industry, but are like, I don't know what's the best path forward. So I think unfortunately we as like the three of us are probably far and few between because I think y'all are probably some of the only people who can like rival me when it comes to like staying on top of trends and what's going on. But sometimes I open my mouth and people are like, could you please stop talking too much? And I'm like, I don't feel like I know enough. I feel like there's more to know. Like what, what state you want to talk about? Like, where do you want to dive in today? And uh, I think that the industry is only becoming more of that, right? So I just really continuously want to give you guys kudos because I couldn't recommend you more for being knowledgeable and on top of the conversation as the industry is continuing to unfold. And so kind of in that vein, I did want to pick apart some of the topics that you feature throughout the playbook and on your podcast. And ooh, Brian's like getting really excited. Yeah, yeah, well, you said you said take a foot on the hot seat, <laughs> and I know Sounds you bring like- the heat, Tata. So like, I'm ready for it. Well, I mean, I don't get to sit down with bring people yeah, who have it. the breadth of conversation <laughs> that I do, and I love some controversy. I know let's you guys it. too. And so, the first topic I want to talk about is celebrities and cannabis. Does this help the industry? Does this hurt the industry? I have so many mixed feelings and I just think as the as cannabis continues to go mainstream like as somebody who very much loves Justin Bieber very much was excited to try his peaches had a really bad experience and like even backing <laughs> it up I remember going to Colorado got my first Willie Nelson pre-roll back in the day that was a fun Texas like yeehaw hat tip to him so there's some that are more accepted some that are not. And I just find that it kind of scares me as we inch towards legalization or the celebrities just going to own it. And then to further punctuate it, why does Seth Rogen get to go on Instagram and talk about his cannabis company? And then I get deactivated and disabled from my Instagram for educating customers. Why? Why is that the internet? Why is that, you know, the industry? That's a great question. I think that I have two opinions about celebrities. I think that on one side of the coin, they're good for the industry to curb cultural stigma, right? Because if you think of like a 45-year-old a forty-five-year-old soccer mom who grew up seeing Justin Bieber as like a, a little 12-year-old with his little hair flip thing, she's like, oh, he's so innocent and cute, right? And so when he launches a cannabis brand, there's that already that correlation. So it's going to help fight that cultural stigma, at least from my perspective. And I think the other side of the coin is what you mentioned in terms of your experience with peaches. I've had that same experience with 
so many celebrities products. It's almost like someone comes to a celebrity and says, look at this spreadsheet. You can make all this money. And they go, okay, here's some money. I don't want to talk to you anymore. And then the person takes the money. They're excited. They have a brand with the celebrity names on it. And then they just don't care about quality. And so it's a bunch of people that are interested in making money who think it's an opportunity to make money. And it turns out that to have a good canvas company, you have to care about quality. So those are my two, my two mm. things. All right, Brian. You- <laughs> I just agree right. with you though, Kellen. I, I agree with you. I think they're in it for the money. I just wish that, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to throw some shade. I mean, Snoop Dogg, his products are hit or miss and it's Snoop Dogg and he's I, like Mr. Cannabis. Thing, I know. But he's not trying all his products, right? Like he's a brand and what he's doing is marketing it. And when people see Snoop Dogg products, they buy Snoop Dogg's products. So Snoop's not, maybe he does care. Maybe he doesn't, but honestly, why should he? He just sees how much money he's getting. He's like, this is sick. I get to smoke for free. I got a cool ass weed brand. And maybe I get to try a couple more strains and I'll name one of them like milfweed, like Nancy Botwin. And the whole thing can be <laughs> That's right. perfect. Right? Like <laughs> at the end of the day, like there's two different approaches. There's the consumer facing side and then there's the business oriented side. And, and from a business facing side, the marketing association with having the influencer when you're limited with how you can raise exposure from an impression standpoint, you can't use Instagram and Google and all those other normal tactics. Having an influencer with eyeballs and the range, like the parent company has, JC, Rihanna, right. like their roster and what they can do from a reach standpoint is out of control, is out of control. And what would take these other companies in order to get that type of exposure would cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars. So when you're kind of making that association of that marriage, you're understanding that this celebrity is likely not going to love my brand as much and, and things are going to work that way. But if people start buying the product, it's, it's a balancing act. And, and the thing I wanted to pick your brain about, Shada, is what Mary Med did recently with our 850-pound brownie. So good. I was trying to figure out the other day what they would actually have to have paid in order to get that type of exposure from a national standpoint because they were everywhere, everywhere. They were everywhere. I just saw they got their third late night showing. Yeah. Like, are you kidding? And like for a cannabis company that's launching a brand to get national exposure and to do what? To have five people spend a couple days making a large brownie? Like that's the type of genius marketing that I think propels companies to another step. And sure, maybe that's their five seconds of fame and they never get to the other level. But if you took a smaller company of their size and said, hey, we can get you a bazillion and a half impressions on a national stage, three late night, three late nights. You know what that tab would cost somebody? Like it would be like a Super Bowl ad is almost like that's oh, how much impressions they actually got. And I think it's genius how they put it together. And I, I tip my hat to them because like that's the type of creativity that helps separate companies in this early stage. No, it's an interesting one that you bring that up because Alice Moon, she was, I think, the publicist or her team, and she was a guest on my podcast. I don't know if y'all have had her on your podcast yet, but she's based in California. And I did also have the chief sales officer from Mary Med on the podcast a couple months ago as well. And I mean, you know how to break that down. There's a few things. One, they're a multi-state operator. So I have to imagine they have some more funding than like a small business who's like, I'm going to go pitch to a PR firm. Like I want to take advantage of this. Two, sidebar, I'm really curious why nobody ever thought about baking a very large brownie to begin with. And the second part of that is, was there actual weed in it or or did they just bake a very large brownie? Because did anybody actually do the testing to qualify that it was a weed brownie? Like, again, I'm just like a little lost on maybe some of the details of that. It had 20,000 milligrams THC in it. It did? Did they test yeah. it though? 
I, I don't know. I was writing, so that's the what, like marketing what, to me. You can just say I made a really large true. brownie, which again, <laughs> like, why didn't people do this before? If, if Guinness hasn't had that large of a brownie, to me, it, it seems like again, I don't know if it was the it's publicist size on brownie. So I, I dove yeah. into this rabbit hole, and this is the part that I thought was really exciting. <laughs> oh, good, bring it, bring it to us. This is the <laughs> content I've been waiting for. If it wasn't a brownie and it was a cupcake or a cookie, I don't think it would have went viral. Oh, for sure. I think the fact that it's a brownie and everybody, and I know it's a bad generalization, most people have experienced an an edible through a brownie form at a certain point in their life. They timed that with the brownie on National Brownie Day. National Brownie Day. Which is the real thing. I looked that up to confirm. was amazing. We we promoted. We sell Delta 8 brownies, and we were all about that in our email marketing and our store. National Brownie Day. And then the best part is, right, you, you you go at Guinness, who, of course, denied the record because it's a cannabis company. I mean, good for you, Guinness. Like, no one really cares about you anymore. But it's the pairing of all those things together right. that I think makes, like, the virality aspect just kind of rip through. Because I think without all those factors timed perfectly, it doesn't hit. And, I, and that's the part that I think is so genius of it was to combine them all, to layer it up. And to let it go. And for an MSO, yeah, they're they're definitely, they have a budget, but I mean, it couldn't have cost them that much to make No, it. I doubt it cost them that much. I think you're right. It, it was the combination of all of those that I think set them up for this slam dunk. The hard part to kind of tie in the celebrity aspect of it too. I mean, that, that to me is the unfortunate part of where I think the industry currently is trending. It's like, oh, well, if you've got a celebrity on board or you are a celebrity who wants to be in the industry, like here, you don't need to actually get the license. Like we'll let you piggyback off our license or your celebrity. Yeah. You want to promote cannabis on your social media platform? Like go for it. Like it just to me seems like it's creating, unfortunately, some disadvantage when it comes to, I think, keeping some of the small business nature, the legacy market and the culture of cannabis alive. And I believe me, I'm like the first person who's very much pro the professionalization and the commercialization of cannabis, because kind of to your point, Kellen, you know, with these celebrities, the amount of people that adopt cannabis is still super untapped for a generation of people who it does take seeing their favorite celebrity to endorse something or to make them comfortable about it or to communicate in a different channel. I mean, as a marketer, you kind of know there's like the magic number of sevens. It takes someone seven times. They hear you, they see you, they read about you. And then they come into your store and they're like, oh yeah, I just Googled and I found you. And you're like, no, you didn't. You saw my marketing. Like that's really what drove you to visit me today. But I think the celebrities can help our cause. And I see that. I just also see it creating some disadvantage when individuals like ourselves, personally speaking, are trying to maybe do the same type of tactics, go get on late night or go make a brownie and trying to work with different publicists. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a little bit harder to climb those stairs than I think if you're a celebrity, unfortunately. I agree. And I, I think that there's another aspect to the industry as well, because if you look at, I was thinking of Snoop Dogg's wine, it's like, he like partnered with like 19 crimes or something. And so it's a red wine. And you can go buy it anywhere and it's the same, right? And it's a decent red wine for like uh, like $15 a bottle, right? I don't know what it's like in your location, by the way, if that's <laughs> not the price. But in Colorado, that's what the price Contact is. Contact Kellen if the price isn't right, they'll <laughs> refund you. But I think the issue isn't celebrities right now. I think the issue is from like a consistency in the product perspective. I yeah. think it has to do with the industry still, right? And you mentioned that you're 
pro professionalizing the industry. Yeah. Right? And I think that that right there is going to be the solution. Right. And so, yeah, regardless of the advantage that celebrity has from a marketing perspective, I think that any additional capital that gets poured into the industry, and if they increase sales through the use of a celebrity, that's more capital. It's going to create a more professional environment, which hopefully creates more consistent and higher quality products. Hopefully. I'm I'm just so shocked that like these celebrities with all this gravitas, like their products are just shitty. Like I know that sometimes it is just a combination of give me your likeness, spend some money, slap your, you know, song name on this pre-roll, whatever. But to me, there's enough quality that exists that like maybe if I was a quality cultivator, wouldn't like how, how like I just don't understand like how the dots can't be connected where these celebrities products are actually good products. Like to me, it just is such a disservice of the whole circular nature of it of like, why did you even put your name on something? But the reality I think probably is the financial opportunity of you just need to sell it to one person. It doesn't matter if they buy it twice, as long as they buy it once, then they're going to put money in your pocket. So And it separates um, itself, right? Like in a dispensary, there's 9 million products and you're not sure which one to try. And you're like, oh, look, Snoop's product. Maybe I'll try that one. He smokes weed. And you're like, ah, perfect. That's a social... And like we're talking about the separation is so tiny that, yeah, it's a minute detail, but if it works and it helps move products, I mean, yeah, it's a definitely a challenging balance, but I expect that to continue to be a big trend and probably one where you see more and more people into the space. I have a question for you too, being the marketing gurus that you oh, are. Thank you. George Clooney's tequila, Casamigos, mm. did much better. Like I can't even tell you, I know that one of the, car- the model, she came out with her own, right? I can't even tell you the name of it. What, what's the difference there? Two massive celebrities. George Clooney's name, I think, I didn't, I don't, when I hear Casamigos, I don't immediately think of George Clooney. It's just a much higher quality tequila, right? So like what, if from your guys' opinion, what was the difference from a marketing perspective of Kendall launching her tequila versus George Clooney launching his? Because George Clooney's tequila is sold for a billion dollars. You know what I mean? Right. Is that am I correct? You're saying something? like his is a better quality, but uh, hers seems to perform better. His performance, I, mean, I think his performs better because it's. Do you soul. know the machine that is Chris Jenner? She's a god. She is a machine. When it comes to when it comes to marketing <laughs> guys, like I'll like, like, drop. Like as long as you got Chris Jenner on your team, like you could literally sell shit in a bag. I'm confident <laughs> of it. Which it. I'm kind of surprised the Kardashians haven't touched on cannabis. That's been I had that down last year as a for sure layup. For sure layup. I think like, you just I had my Kim K, THCV, skinny weed, boom. That would just absolutely crush. And I thought she pairs that with her skims. And next thing you know, her dynasty is a straight empire. And She's I mean, that's it. a no-brainer. I tried to charge them for that idea when I dropped it on the podcast because I was like, yikes. I already like, said welcome. it. It's out loud. Exactly what I said. And I was like, well, now she's a billionaire and I just gave away free consulting advice. Oh, man. <laughs> well, you bring up an interesting point to kind of continue to transition this riff. THCV, it's come out in the market. There, People are always asking me, like, oh, where did we just like come up with this cannabinoid? I'm like, it didn't just appear out of nowhere. It's existed in the cannabis plant, but the productization of these cannabinoids to the market, right? It's definitely like a rolling thunder. Like in states like Texas, we have Delta 8. We're now getting into all these minor cannabinoids. And then you see in states like Colorado, the introduction of THCV. I think Juana was one of the first, if not the first, to kind of bring THCV out. And they're marketing it as, I don't want to go as far as saying weight loss, because I think there's some nuance, because I don't think you can actually say that, but they're kind of calling it like the 
obviously appetite suppressant, this skinny version of cannabis. And I'm just curious, kind of talking about that, but all these new cannabinoids, what's your kind of hot take on these cannabinoids hitting the market, people productizing them? And is it is it gimmicky or is it really just the exploration of the actual medicinal benefits of these cannabinoids? I don't think it's gimmicky. I think I think it's it's anecdotal, as I think is the best way to kind of describe it. Gimmicky, I think, is the wrong word. Because like people, everyone's going to be different when they ingest things, right? So like, I'm not here to tell someone that they didn't have an experience if they think they had an experience from taking a minor cannabinoid, right? The minor cannabinoid industry, in my opinion, is there's going to be a massive amount of medical benefits from these cannabinoids for sure. We just don't know it yet. The science just hasn't caught up to where the real world is. But I think that a large driving force is the fact that cannabis isn't legal across states. There's no federal legalization. And so people in states that were THC, they can't get Delta 9 THC, are looking for alternatives where they're not kind of putting themselves at risk having to go to their drug dealer to buy cannabis, right? It's, it provides this opportunity, at least, from the ability to go... So, consciously purchase something that you're not going to get arrested for and still have that experience that you're looking for from an altered state of mind, right? That's my opinion on it. And like in Colorado, Delta 8 is not that big because you can right. buy legal wheat, right? <laughs> right? And I, I just noticed that it's it's bigger in, in states that isn't doesn't have legal cannabis laws or adult use cannabis laws, if you will. And so for sure. that's with Delta 8. The rest of the minors is going to be really, really interesting to see how those markets progress because I think they're all going to hit a ceiling and that ceiling is going to be, they're only going to be able to grow so much until they hit the ceiling where the federal government or the state public health department kind of jumps in, right? You're not going to see any, at least in my opinion, you won't see a minor cannabinoid take over the entire global industry from a sales perspective because they're going to have to go through government regulations and FDA certifications. And I mean, it's the same ceiling that CBD hits right now, right? Like the we have the farm bill, which has legalized hemp and CBD, but yet we cannot reschedule CBD to a nutraceutical and a food ingredient. So like, and that's where now big box chain stores like Walmart and companies that drive massive purchasing, they're not able to make those purchases because it's a liability for them from a legality perspective, even though it's legal to to make it. So I think that that's going to be the ceiling for a sales perspective from a minor cannabinoid until regulations are put in place to allow legal sales of these miners, there's just going to be a ceiling on how much volume of them gets gets moved around the country, in my opinion. What are your thoughts, Brian? Yeah, it's a really good question, Shada. And it's it's the twofold again, right? It's the consumers, for there to be mass adoption, there needs to be kind of a bigger understanding of what these minor cannabinoids do. But I feel like on the same side, or excuse me, on the other side, the industry wants these miners to be just pushing forward. And I think we've already seen CBN and Sleepy associated really closely. And I think THCV is going to be a big one. And we had a phone call previously with a big, a big international player who's very, very hot on these minor cannabinoids for these, these, these end products. And when some of the cannabinoids they were diving into, Kellen and I are like never even heard of these. So like the concepts (laughs) of where they're operating from a, a stance of where they're forecasting growth, it has to be 10, 15 years out. But the one Jeez. the one area, I mean, it's just the cannabinoids they're listing off. I'm like trying to look them up in real time. I mean, like, I've never even heard that. Like 
I don't know. Well, there's know. like not even enough research on right. some of these cannabinoids that are even on the market presently today. Like CBC is one that we are seeing coming up a lot more. Right. And then you you kind of do some research on it. And then people are like, well, what's the difference between CBD and CBC? I'm like, CBC is even more anti-inflammatory. Right. They're like, well, what about CBG? I'm like, yes, more anti-inflammatory than CBD. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. We don't know what the difference is sometimes between these. But to your kind of point, Kellen, a little bit, everybody's body is different. So how that person responds to CBD for sleep versus CBN for sleep, like you were talking about, Brian, it's everybody's unique biochemistry is making that outcome really the difference. And so I almost look forward to, which it's kind of like we're on the cusp of this type of technology. And it's, uh, I'm going to use the word gimmicky again, because I think it's a little gimmicky and I did it. And it seems like it's just selling other people's products, but you know, these like DNA tests, like get your DNA tested and then plug it into this system. And I did it. I did one of those popular ones. And it's like, it's going to tell you what your body is dispositioned towards cannabis, THC versus CBD versus blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the report, it's like, buy these products. And you're like, oh, I got it. You're just trying to funnel me into the sales of these people's products. But I I would love one day where that's accurate and it really truly is saying, hey, Shada, actually you could use a great combination of CBN and CBG and THCV and maybe you need more of this, a little bit of that. And then almost like a, I always kind of think of like those jelly belly factories where you're like, I want like 5% red and 10% green. Like you can customize your formulation based on what your body is actually wanting and needing. And so I don't know. I I aspire that might be the future, but I don't know. It's interesting also because you're bringing up the legalization of it, right? That's totally going to matter how this all unfolds. And so we're almost at time. I want to end on everybody's favorite topic, which is federal legalization. But I have a twist for you guys. And you kind of mentioned it, Kellen. We have the Farm Bill. And the Farm Bill federally legalized hemp, which allows for up to 0.3% Delta 9 THC. And to further paint a picture, Texas does not have legal marijuana. We are only allowed to play with the farm bill and play with what Texas's laws are. And Texas adopted pretty much with the farm bill. Yes, we have dabbled in Delta 8 THC. That's currently in litigation. We'll see what happens in 2022. And by the time this airs, it might already be 2022. So more to come for that for sure. But What I thought was really interesting, while our local state government was in a panty bind around Delta 8 THC, nationally, you started seeing brands come to market with hemp-derived Delta 9, kind of the same vein of the brownie. Why didn't we think of this sooner? The farm bill's been legal for how long? You're now seeing, by weight, I can have up to X amount of Delta 9 THC. It's not going to be smokable. It's not going to be in a concentrate. But I've seen people, and I now sell 15 milligram Delta 9 products in chocolates, in gummies, in candies. I saw someone is selling upwards of 25 milligrams of Delta 9. I can ship it to your door. Some of these companies are saying they age verify, and they do not. And that's part of the the chaos (laughs) of the industry. And you can be the recipient of legal... Farm Bill, certified legal, Delta 9, and I don't need to know your age. I don't need to go see your ID card, and I can get it straight to your door. And what does that do to federal legalization? What do y'all think about that? I think we're confusing consumers, right? Like at the end of the day, people can come in one day and ask you for a product shade, and then the next day you're like, well, we can't get this anymore, but you can get a slightly different version. Here it is. And they're like, isn't this? And you're like, just don't worry about it. Like, this is fine. 
But like, I think that's the hardest part is that like we're hurting the end consumer from un- understanding like what is legal, what is not, what is tested, what is not. We, we make the whole thing so challenging. I think we had someone on the podcast the other day that said like it's a continual moving range. So everyone in the industry is shooting for a continual moving range. And then you've got your consumers in different demographics and different locations trying to understand, okay, well, I got this last week. Like, why can't I get it next week? And you're like, well, you know, things change pretty quick. So we had to remove it. We had to toss all that. And here's a new one. It's like kind of similar, but also kind of different. And you're like, what am I going to feel like? And then you're starting to have to like break it down and start all over again. And I think the person that hurts the most is the end consumer. Yeah, absolutely. My opinion on all of that is I only think it helps. Having a huge glut of CBD and having all of these hemp companies that are playing by the legal rules and they're now, they were synthesizing Delta 8. Turns out that they can also synthesize Delta 9 with the same mechanisms if they just kind of tweak that synthetic process a little bit, right? And so I think it's, I think it's the best thing for the industry personally because when you have the amount of capital that's been poured into building out the infrastructure associated with the, the hemp and CBD industry, like there's a lot of people that spent millions of dollars building these facilities. And for them to hit these kind of roadblocks in the growth of their company and they're, they're expecting that, hey, like we have federal support. I should be able to play adult company business games. And for them to hit roadblocks like CBD is not going to be reclassified as a nutraceutical, even though there's a bill that says it's legal, right? Like for these roadblocks to be put in place, these businessmen are going to they're going to want their money back and re- return on their investment. And they're going to start getting very serious about changing the way that they can conduct business, right? And right now they're finding every single loophole they possibly can, which I think is literally just shows the federal government that there is significant support behind the country wanting to consume THC, right? I think it was, uh, we were talking earlier. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) It's like Americans can't agree. 68% of Americans can't agree on anything but cannabis. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed having that conversation with Kellen and Brian and wishing you a very happy, fruitful, bountiful, blessed, successful 2022. And remind yourself that we're just getting started. There is so much opportunity in the cannabis industry and certainly so much more to unpack as we kick off the new year. But I love leaving you guys with some food for thought and encourage you to engage with me on social media. You can find me at To Be Blunt Pod or personally at The Shade of Tarabi. And I'm curious what your thoughts are about celebrity cannabis brands. I love that Kellen's opinion was very much that it can help the industry by targeting new consumers who otherwise might not have considered cannabis. And certainly, I think I relate more to Brian's perspective where. Sometimes these brands are not really as focused on the quality of the actual product that they are, you know, stamping this, this person, this celebrity's status, this name on. And I think that's where you see just the overwhelm of all these cannabis brands hitting the market. And do they really live up to the hype? I don't know. So I'm curious what your thoughts are and if you think that it will help or if it's going to be hurting the cannabis industry at large, especially as cannabis continues to go mainstream. Thank you again so much from the bottom of my heart for tuning into my episodes of the podcast to be blunt and just really appreciate all the listenership, all the comments, all the engagement, all the community. So with that, 
I will see you guys in the new year with a brand new episode. Be sure to tune in. It's going to be with Steve D'Angelo and it is juicy. We're talking about his perspective on the future of cannabis. It's a good one. So I'll see you guys next week. Otherwise be safe and talk to y'all later. Bye y'all. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com. 